A reading from Exodus. Moses said to the Lord, See, you have said to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, if I found favor in your sight, show me your ways, so that I may know you and find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. He said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go, do not carry us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, unless you go with us? In this way we shall be distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Show me your glory, I pray. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you the name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no one shall see me and live. And the Lord continued, See, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. A reading from the first letter of Paul to the Thessalonians. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We always give thanks to God for all of you and mention you in our prayers constantly remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, that he has chosen you, because our message of the gospel came to you not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of persons we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For in spite of persecution, you received the word with joy, inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you not only in Macedonia and in Achaia, but in every place your faith in God has become known, so that we have no need to speak about it. For the people of those regions report about us what kind of welcome we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath that is coming. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people.
The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. The Pharisees went and plotted to entrap Jesus in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one. For you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then, what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, Whose head is this, and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. And they left him and went away. The Gospel of the Lord. So tell us, Brother Richard Edward, should we pay our taxes or not? It's one of those Sundays where I want to find the architects of the lectionary and say, why did you have to give me this one? Particularly in a week when tax policy is back in the news and all the partisan machinery in the country is starting to spool up yet again. Questions that need answers. Uncertainty in uncertain times. Our readings are full of this today. We hear from the very foundations of the tradition yet again. We have that ancient story in the Torah where the people of God have just been caught in idolatry. If you remember the story, Moses goes up on the mountain to commune with God, and they get tired of waiting for Moses to come back down. So what do they do? They gather up all the gold that they have plundered from the Egyptians, and they make a a golden calf, and Aaron leads them in worship. And when Moses gets back down the mountain, he is horrified. So, you know, again, in one of those kind of Charlton Heston moments, you can see Moses throwing the tablets to the ground in a fury, and the people trembling at what will happen next. God is not too pleased and demands that the people give up all of their ornamentation. As one commentator has put it, there's a way in which God demands of his people who have plundered the Egyptians that they now plunder themselves and give up all of those things that have distracted them from the faith that they are supposed to carry. And we get into today's reading 
where Moses now is pleading with God to remain with them despite their infidelity. And God promises to do that. And more than that, God agrees in as much as God can to reveal himself to Moses. Another primordial resource we have in our readings today comes from the earliest writing that we have from Christians in the New Testament. Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians was probably written somewhere around the year 50, and he is writing to a community that has experienced persecution and is deeply, deeply anxious about the return of Christ. They believe that Jesus' return is imminent, and yet they have suffered a great deal in the name of Jesus. They have given everything over to their Savior. And they are asking Paul, what happens to us next? And so Paul writes to them in earnest and asks of them to remain faithful even in an anxious time. Now, we as good 21st century Christians living in the American West as we do might think for a moment in our common sort of privilege and entitlement that we have a lockstop on partisanship. We live in a partisan time, right? The whole country seems divided. We seem divided amongst ourselves. And we come at the end of millennia of division in the church, where we have all been partisan in one way, shape, or form. We have been good Protestants and good Catholics. We have been good Episcopalians and good Presbyterians and good Methodists and good progressive Christians and good traditionalist Christians and everything in the middle until we have whittled ourselves down into all kinds of different factions. But you know what? We don't have a lockstop on partisanship at all. This has been going on in the human family forever. And that's what we see in today's gospel reading. Jesus is approached by two major factions of the day. And what's really interesting about these partisan groups is we know very little about them. Most of what we know about the Pharisees we can find in Christian scripture, and that is scant little, except they seem to be a party of faithful Jews who want very much in their time and place to cultivate a devoted piety among the people. They are, you might say, the religious innovators of Jesus' day because they have developed a set of traditions and customs that they demand the people follow. Jesus, being that country bumpkin from the north in Galilee, as I'm fond of noting, actually, when compared with the Pharisees, is more conservative than they are. He wants a recovery of the ancient traditions of the Torah, and he is upset that the Pharisees, along with their compatriot partisans in Jerusalem, are demanding so much of the people that they are crushing them with a burden they cannot bear. And so the Pharisees don't like Jesus because he's asking tough questions. And we have another partisan group mentioned in today's gospel. We know even less about them than we know about the Pharisees, the Herodians. They are the subject of a great deal of speculation. 
ranging from whether they were partisans who supported Herod and his lineage, the puppet king, who had come into Israel towards the end of the first century BC and tossed out the Seleucid Empire with a Roman garrison at his back. He had introduced Israel, you might say, to Roman occupation. And then he had a big building campaign. He even built a whole city, Caesarea, on the coast. And then when he died, the kingdom was split into four parts amongst his sons. So by the time Jesus is an adult, Galilee is ruled by Herod Antipas, one of Herod the Great's sons. And he is depicted, at least in the Gospels, as a bit of a dissolute fellow, not somebody faithful Jews would look up to. So there's this sense that these two partisan groups in today's Gospel, the Herodians and the Pharisees, might be what we would call in our early 21st century lingo, frenemies. They have one thing in common, and that is they don't like Jesus very much. And so they come on the heels, at least as Matthew tells us, of the other religious authorities in Jerusalem to challenge Jesus, and they give him a catch-22 question. They want to see him squirm. Because they know no matter how Jesus answers this question about paying tax to the emperor, he's going to get himself into trouble. If Jesus says, yes, it is lawful to pay the emperor, They can accuse him of being unfaithful as a Jew. Nobody, even in the first century, likes paying their taxes, least of all to the Roman occupation and how that crushes the people and the very crowds that Jesus has been teaching and how that also undermines the hope for an independent Israel in their day. Is very much at the top of their minds. But if Jesus says, no, don't pay taxes to the emperor, he will immediately be put into another box of partisans called the zealots who have been leading rebellions off and on throughout the first century against the Romans. They are a violent lot, and the Romans are very quick to make examples of them. And we all know what that means in the end. But Jesus turns the tables on them, on their partisanship, and on ours as well. He calls them hypocrites. Hypocrisy is one thing we like to accuse each other of, even today, both in our politics and in our churches and in our lives. We don't like hypocrisy but I want to give you a meaning to think about in light of today's reading. One commentator has parsed the word hypocrisy, hypo meaning sub or beneath, and crisis is the other part of the word. It is to suggest that what Jesus is accusing the Pharisees and the Herodians of in today's reading is of a sub-crisis, a false crisis, a distraction even, from the real crisis and the real issue. Just like their ancestors of old, they are more concerned about the golden calf 
than they are about remaining faithful to God and more concerned about the bottom line than they are about what God demands of them. In a way, Jesus is saying, you're missing the point. You're losing the forest for the trees, he is saying to them. You are blowing up taxation to the emperor so out of proportion that you lose what God is really calling all of us to. Jesus, in a way, tweaks the nose of their partisanship and tweaks our nose a little bit too and says, don't get caught up in a false crisis. The real crisis is the one that was as true for the ancient Israelites as it was for the Jews of the first century, as it was for those early Christians in Thessalonica in the middle of that century, as it is for us today. And that is a fundamental crisis of faith. Jesus asks for a Roman coin, the denarius. And I think Jesus knows that the face on that coin changes depending on who's emperor. And Jesus knows that none of it is permanent. Translators that we read today use the word face but the Greek is suggestive that a better translation would be the word image. Whose image is on this coin? Anyone who knew the tradition well would hear that deep resonance of that word image with where else it is used in the Torah, the very foundation of the tradition. And that is when God creates humanity. God creates humanity in God's image. That is to say that anyone who has ears to hear will hear Jesus saying, this is the image of the emperor, but you are the image of God. So while the coins may belong to the emperor, and there was a very sophisticated system to get local coinage translated into the coins that belong to Rome, you, Jesus is saying, belong to God. What would it mean if we got back into the real crisis of faith again and started to think of ourselves as made in the image of God? What would change for us as early 21st century partisans, whether we're church partisans or political partisans, or just people who like to take positions and sides of an argument? What if we suddenly backed up and saw the whole forest again and saw what God was trying to get to? What if we realized that we are much more than the bottom line and our accounts and all of the ways the current economy consumes us 
and we recognize what Jesus is telling us, to give God what is God's is to give ourselves over completely to God. Now, don't misunderstand me. I know I am hired and kept by the institutional church, but I'm not saying give everything over to the church either. I'm saying give everything over to God. What does that mean? Everything. Not a tax, not even a tithe, but everything over to God. How does that change things for us? It risks, as it risked for those early Christians in Thessalonica, a complete overturning of the world they thought they knew and understood. But it risks also being faithful witnesses in a world that is filled with partisans and all kinds of ways to divide us. Paul extols them for their faith in the face of persecution that we probably can't even begin to imagine. They were such a small group, after all, in such a big world, dominated by armies and emperors. And yet they had given themselves over completely to something entirely different, radical even. They were made whole, slaves and free, Greek and Jew, wealthy and poor. They were brought back together in the image of God. Maybe we can be too. And if we give ourselves over in that kind of faith, if we give to God what is really God's, we might be just like Moses was at the threshold of seeing God face to face. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.